Um, I think it would be probably fair for me to say that righteousness is a, a very Christianese type word. There's probably not a lot of your friends or your colleagues at work or your family who, who talk about righteousness on a regular basis. It is, it, it's a word that we very much talk about in Christian circles, but it's not talked a lot outside of that. And we could be tempted because of that to think that righteousness is something that we talk about here and has to do with us as Christians, but it has nothing to do with the world around us. But, and I think this is a really helpful way for us to think about the world around us, but I think our culture has become obsessed with righteousness, obsessed with righteousness in every way that they can. And I think we can see that because everyone you know I would say, without doubt, would believe that there is something deeply wrong with the world, that people do not act as they should, and that they will have some opinion of how people can be better people in the world so that the world is this lovely, peaceful utopia. Everybody thinks that our world is in some way unrighteous, and they all have opinions of how do we get the world to become more righteous. And Jesus through this beatitude tells us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So what does it mean to hunger and to thirst for righteousness? If you don't believe me that we live in a society where people are hungering and thirsting for some form of righteousness, I think a really clear way that this has come out in the past few months has been one of the consequences of the Black Lives Matter protests. I imagine you're not as nerdy as me, but I don't know if any of you know what the number one best-selling book on the New York Times bestsellers list was coming off the back of Black Lives Matter. I don't know if you keep up to date with that. Um, but it was a book called White Fragility by a woman called uh, Robin D'Angelo. And the book, the book was not dealing with racism per se, but it was trying to deal with another issue. It was trying to deal with the issue of how do we as white people, in her argument, get rid of the guilt that we feel? And she has this gospel narrative that she shows where if you, if you want to get righteous, if you want to get rid of this guilt, you need to do this and you need to say this and you need to act in this way. And it became this reaction where we had, there was this, these protests about racism and the best-selling book coming off the back of it wasn't actually really dealing with racism, but the feeling of unrighteousness that people have in their hearts. Because we all know that there are issues in the world and if we were really honest with ourselves on our truest days, we are part of the problem. We are part of the problem of unrighteousness that we see in this world around us. How many of you have said something to somebody you love and regretted it as the words were off your tongue? How many of you have had to apologize to members of your family even before you came out to church this morning? How many of you made snappy comments? How many of us have walked past the person we saw in need? How many times have we seen people who we have known have needed things and we have, we have skipped over them? How many times have we, have we hoarded for ourselves rather than giving for others? We all know that there is a deep problem of righteousness and what it means to be righteous in the world around us. 
And we all, if we are honest with ourselves, know that we are, as people, at the core of that. And so, and so we hunger and we long and we thirst and we, we want to be better. We want to get more righteousness. We want more righteousness and we long for it and we cry out for it. But there's a difficulty. And, and the difficulty in our society is that there is no real overarching agreement on what it means to be righteous. That's what our culture is expressing. You've maybe noticed that any political debate you watch on TV or any kind of news piece that you bring two people on to be interviewed about on morning breakfast shows, they're getting angrier, aren't they? You've bound to have noticed that people are getting angrier. As people long for righteousness, but they've got no definition for what righteousness is. They, they slot into what are flawed and limited views of what it means to get righteousness and then get angry that people aren't coming with them because they've settled for something lesser than what the Bible teaches. And I, I think some ways we can almost sum it up, and I'm painting with broad brushes in that in some ways, some of us might have a more traditional view and some of us might have a, a more modern view. And that's not to say that either of them are better. The more traditional one is, is maybe you would have heard a term in Ulster in years gone by, good living or good living for a living, um, as you would maybe heard people say. And it was the idea that, you know, good people don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with people who do. You know, it was that idea that we, you put your head down and you work hard, and that's all of what it means to be a righteous person. To work down, try your hardest through personal self-improvement. And you go to church to get your morals, to learn how to be a good living person, don't get too into the religion stuff. Don't try to become a Christian. Don't believe any of that. But just go to church, become a moral person and work hard and you'll become righteous. And that's maybe the more traditional view. And some of us might get frustrated because we see in society in recent decades, there's been a rise of a new form of righteousness that says, you know, it doesn't matter how you act as an individual. It doesn't matter if you put your head down and you work hard. It doesn't matter who you sleep with. It doesn't matter how much you drink. It doesn't matter what you say or how you treat other people. But the number one thing that you should care about if you want to be a righteous person now is you need to call out all the unrighteousness you see around you with the loudest voice possible. And that's what righteousness is now. So it went from a traditional view of righteousness that focused on the individual to a more modern view of righteousness that looks at the world around and points out the righteousness or the unrighteousness in the world. And what we see then in the arguments and the shouting and the anger on our TV screens and our news, TV, and our news shows is these two ideas bashing against each other as one tries to take on the other. And what we want to say as Christians is that both of those ideas are far too small. Far, far too small. Because we see that there are aspects of righteousness that have to do with changing us. And there are aspects of righteousness that have to do with changing society. The good news of the kingdom of God is that it's good news for the kingdom and it, it, it is a societal aspect and it has an individual aspect. But we confuse ourselves if we say it is an either or, when really it is a both and because we believe that God's grace, whenever he changes cold and callous hearts like ours on an individual level. Whenever he changes individual sinners one by one by bringing them from unrighteousness to righteousness in the eyes of the law. 
that that can have wonderful ways in which that outworks in society, where we want to see our, our society flourish as well. We want to love our neighbor and our enemy. We want to turn the other cheek. We want to give the tunic, as we saw in the children's address, to the person who doesn't have. And we want to realize that the core of the issue isn't out there, but it starts in here. That whenever Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it is a hungering and thirsting for righteousness that realizes that the, the heart of unrighteousness is the heart, the one that I carry around in my chest. And so what does it then mean to be filled? Because if we adopt this big idea of righteousness, that it is far bigger than any of our modern debates would like to admit, and it begins with us, we need to ask, where are we going to get our, our fill of righteousness? Where are we going to be filled up by it? And we live in a culture that will say that, well, the place where you go to get filled up with righteousness is either to the self-help book section in your local Waterstones or any other book retailer, where you work hard, you know, you go to your job and you, you just put your head down and you work and you can find the power within yourself to be, to be righteous. That's one of the answers that you get given. Or you get given another answer as well, if we want real righteousness and real change, we need to look to the next election or the next party or the next piece of legislation that's going to be introduced or the next um, example case that's going to be brought before the Supreme Court. And then that passes and the emptiness is still there because we, re we realize the truth that, as St. Augustine would have said, that our hearts were made for God and they are restless until we find our rest in him. A longing and a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness looks for the fullness of it, not in anything in this world and, and, not, in, and not in trying harder, but a fullness of righteousness is found by those of us who look at the world around us and see the pain and suffering, who look in our own hearts and see our own moral deprivation and our own sin, and we just want to hunger and thirst and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. That's why Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount with this promise. Because to people in that in that and around where he was teaching, who were longing for something to come along and fix their society, who were longing to be freed from their own sin within their hearts. He looked upon them and said, you know, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you who have longed for the coming righteous Messiah because he stands before you and you can be filled And I think it's important that we ask ourselves, where, where do we look for true righteousness? If we look in here, we will only be discouraged. If we look outside at the world around us, we will only be dismayed. But if we look to our wonderful Savior and his promises and the truth and the comfort that he will one day come again. 
we are filled with a longing that realizes that we must follow and long for him and pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we realize that we are thoroughly unrighteous and we live in a world that is arguing about what does true righteousness look like. Father, help us point to Jesus. True righteousness, perfection, goodness in all of its glory. And Father, would we be filled with his hope, with his promises, and with his righteousness. For it is only in his blessed and beautiful name we pray. Amen.